Let's pray before we start thinking about it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story that's here on the record for the whole of human history. And we pray that you would speak to us through it this morning. Make us wise, not just to judgment, but wise to salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. There's a lot of people um, who have given up on God because they say he doesn't do anything about evil. Just lets it run. He doesn't care. He never does anything. Well, this story is on the record, Daniel chapter 5, to assure us that he does. He does judge. And we can be absolutely sure that that will happen. And... Also, there's some hints in it as well about how we might get ready for that judgment when it comes on us. Now, what we're going to do is we're talking about a man called Belshazzar. Belshazzar's feast is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, this. And uh, so I need some people to come up to the front to be in Belshazzar's feast. So any children, I need you. I need you now. Come on, children, I need you. I need you at the front. There's a drink and a biscuit in it for you, because this is a feast. Right. The first thing, I'm going to do this talk in three little parts. Come and have a seat at the feast. In those days, there were no tables. You just reclined at the feast. Ah, look, it's Boaz and Abilene. Hello, visiting. Nice to see you. Oh, don't mind your toe. Right. So, I told you there was a drink and biscuit in it. God disrupts Belshazzar's feast. That's the first thing we're going to think about. Would you like some drinks? There you go. There's some cups there. Um, Take a cup. This is the finest wine, the finest wine. You see, Belshazzar is the grandson, probably not the son, but the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the one who we've been doing stories about um, the last few weeks. And we'll hear a little bit about, here we go, the finest wine um, that Babylon can offer. Grown in the fertile fields of Mesopotamia. And then bought from Morrison's in a plastic bottle with the word squash written on it. So there they are, they're feasting away. Now the interesting thing is, Belshazzar, he's he's actually a cocky young man, he's a bit of a twit, because in fact, the army, he's just recently been beaten by the Persian army, which is the resurgent power in world politics, and Persians are at the gates. Well, sort of, they're actually on the other side of the river Euphrates, and that's why uh, Belshazzar thinks he's safe. And so he has this great party. I mean, when you're under siege, it's not a great idea to consume all your food, but Belshazzar is a twit. So there he is. Look at this lavish food here. There you go. Do you want some lavish food? I I would go for the custard creams myself. But um, Oh, you go for the... Well done. That's a good... Oh, you are going for the custard creams. There we are. So they're eating away, and they're having their party and um, going on with, with all their celebration at Belshazzar's great feast. Now, Belshazzar is in the middle of his feast, and he's, he's a little bit, he's, he's quite well-oiled, and he's, you know what happens when you've got, if, if you've got too much alcohol in you, start boasting. Oh, look at me, I'm great, aren't I wonderful? Look at all my women, look at all my soldiers, look at all my, and then he thinks, ah, these cups are a bit boring. Do, do you like your plastic cups? They're a bit boring, aren't they? Because he suddenly remembers, we've got some really nice cups in our special cupboard. 
Because, you see, right at the beginning of the book of Daniel, when the people of Babylon took the people of Judah and Jerusalem into exile, they also took with them all the treasures of the temple in Jerusalem, including the beautiful cups from the temple. So Belshazzar thinks, I know, remember those cups that my, grand, that my granddad, King Nebuchadnezzar, took from Jerusalem? They are quite splendid. And also, they were, probably was a bit superstitious, and he thought they were very special, which of course they were. He thought, let's, let's get those cups. Come on. Do you, want to, you got, Reg, do you want to go and get the cups? Go into, go into that room over there, and you'll find some nice cups on the desk. Go and get them, and bring them through. So he sends his servant to go and get the cups, and through they come. Have you got them? Can you find some nice cups there? There you go, on the desk. There we are. You take those through. There we go. Lift them nice and high so people can see. There's another one. Here we go. Bring forth the goblets. And so the goblets come. There we are. That's better, isn't it? <laughs> Do you like They're quite good, aren't they? They're better than these plastic ones. You like the plastic ones. Well, you weren't supposed to say that. That's ruined my talk. No, it hasn't. Don't worry. Look, what we'll do is we'll give you some... Um, well, I'll tell you what, you can pretend. So they were drinking... Well, I tell you, I'll do it. Here we go. They were like, hey, look at these. We've got these beautiful cups from the Lord's temple hey, in Jerusalem. Ah, aren't we? They thought they were the absolute business. They were having an amazing time. I didn't quite dilute that properly. <laughs> they were parting away. And then the Lord disrupts their feast. He disrupts it in the most spectacular way. What, an earthquake? No. A thunderbolt? No. A hand. A few weeks ago, we went up to uh, watch Back to the Future, the musical in London. If you haven't been, it's brilliant. The special effects are amazing. They're nothing, though, compared to what we have this morning. <laughs> this morning, <clears throat> we have got an item. Have you ever seen, have any of you younger people ever seen one of these before? Never seen one of those. This is technology at the very cutting edge. It's called an overhead projector. And an overhead projector is remarkable because it projects things. Now, the overhead projector, what you do, the, um, the amazing thing is it's got an on and off switch. That is how advanced it is. I'm going to turn it on because this is going to enable us to see the writing on the wall. Ladies and gentlemen, the writing on the wall. Do you know that expression? It's a, just an English expression, isn't it? The writing's on the wall. You know, Boris is going to have to go now, the writing's on the wall. Or the football manager, he's going to have to go now, the writing's on the wall. When the writing's on the wall, it means the end is inevitable and it's immediate, irreversible. So, let's have some writing on the wall. So, wow, I know, amazing, amazing. The writing on the wall, so if you, if you could just budge over to that side there, there you go, I'm going to, because I'm just going to sort of sit where you are. So they're all watching, and suddenly there is absolute dead silence as a hand appears, writing. That's all. 
just a hand. And it writes, do you recognize the writing? the writing, know what it means? The writing's on the wall. That was all it took, a hand. And suddenly the most powerful man in the world is absolutely riveted to the spot. We read in the text, that his knees are knocking together. He is physically in a state of complete shock because he knows that this cannot be good. His conscience has been asleep all his life. His inner sense that he's okay suddenly is disrupted. It's woken up and he realizes that this writing cannot be good news for him, it must spell his doom. But he has no idea what it says. He calls all his chief magicians, enchanters, astrologers, the greatest philosophers of the kingdom, and they come into the banqueting hall and they see the writing and they say, I have no idea what it says. How terrible to know, as Belshazzar does, that the judgment is against him, but to have no idea what it says. The Lord knows how to disrupt. My, he knows how to disrupt. When he grabs somebody's attention, there is no wriggling. The Lord disrupts Belshazzar's feast. Now, Children, come to the front again, quickly. Come up to the front. Now, there is somebody in this church who has the name of the hero of our story. And I want you to go and get that person. And that person already is going to be looking a little bit awkward. Because I can see him out of the corner of my eye, but I know that he's a good sport. Shall I give you a clue? He's got his head buried in the pew. <coughs> Can you see the guy over there with the head buried in the pew? <laughs> Does he want to come up or is he absolutely dying? He doesn't want to come. All right, we'll let him off. We'll let him off. Is there anybody else called Daniel in the house? Is there another Daniel? No other Daniels in the whole house? No. Thankfully, there was a Daniel. There was a Daniel in the kingdom of Babylon, and the person who remembered it was not Belshazzar and all his young fellow twits. It was the old, well, she was probably the, she was probably a generation or two older than Belshazzar. She was a retired queen. She remembered that there was a man called Daniel. He could read things. He would be able to read the writing. She says, bring in Daniel. 
He's one of the, um, he's one of the people from Jerusalem. And, and Belshazzar's probably going, oh no, Jerusalem. Because, of course, he's already mentioned Jerusalem that night, hasn't he? Remember, the cups. He's already, he, knows that he's, he knows that there's an issue between him and the God of Jerusalem. He knows it. And now, this man from Jerusalem is going to come, Daniel. And so Daniel is brought in. And Daniel, he can tell the king what the words mean. But before he tells the king what the words mean, he has got a bit of weighing to do. He's got a bit of explaining to do. The Lord is about, through Daniel, to weigh Nebuchadnezzar in the balance. Let's turn this off, because Daniel's not going to get to this for a while. Um, when Belshazzar was a little boy, I suspect that he probably looked at the family photo album. Did anyone find the family photo album, by the way? Is the family photo album there? The royal photo album of Babylon. Um, oh, look, it's come up on the screen. Can you have a look, please? Have a look at my photo album. Where's my photo album? Anyone spot it? The royal album? I think you need to look up a bit. No, not up there. There it is. The royal album of Babylon. Let's have a look together at the royal album of Babylon. This is what Belshazzar knew. This was just part of the family story that he would have known full well. Let's have a look at the first picture there. Let's have a look. Ah, do, you remember, do, you remember that, do you remember that story with the fire? There's Nebuchadnezzar. He's the, he was the king, and he said that everyone had to worship him. And, uh, but these th there were three men who said they weren't going to worship him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, the and Nebuchadnezzar said then they had to be thrown into the fire. He threw them into the fire, and when they went into the fire, what did they um, find? They found that there weren't three in the fire. There was another one in the fire. There were four in the fire because the Lord God, the son of the living God, met them in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar knew it. Nebuchadnezzar had learned that. It was part of Belshazzar's family, photos. He knew. He knew all about the Lord, the God of Israel, and that he was the great saviour and the great rescuer. Let's have a look at the next picture in the photo album. Ah, this one. King Nebuchadnezzar, it's quite a long old name that, isn't it? I always spell it wrong. Um, I, anyway, ne King Nebuchadnezzar, there he is. That was a picture of him looking over the city of Babylon and saying, oh, how great all this great city is. What a wonderful city I've built. Aren't I marvelous? And um, that was part of the family photo album. But then something terrible happened. He had, remember, he had a dream. Adam did this last week. He had a dream about how he was going to be humbled and how he was going to, well, he was going to go really low. He was going to start eating grass like a, like a, well, like a cow, I suppose. There's the next picture. Look, that's what happened. They all knew that was the same Nebuchadnezzar, the one who thought how marvelous and wonderful he was. The Lord brought him down and low, so low that he became almost like an animal for a few years and started eating the grass. And, yeah, and so there, there that's, that was, he was very odd. People. people, no, people don't eat grass, exactly, you're exactly right, people don't eat grass, but, but Nebuchadnezzar, he went, so, the Lord brought him down so low that he actually started eating the grass, he was like, he, behaved, he was behaving like an animal, so there he was, and then, here's the next picture in the album, let's have a look at the next one, let's get it up, 
Where's it gone? Is there another picture? Oh, there isn't one. Well, the next picture, that's funny. The next picture I've got here is Nebuchadnezzar turning his eyes up because the reason that the Lord brought him so low was because Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was, he, he thought that there was no God in heaven and he thought that he was in charge. The Lord showed him that actually the Lord God in heaven was in charge. And look at Nebuchadnezzar there. Suddenly he's there, he's eating his grass and he suddenly thinks, I'm not God, am I? And he looks up to heaven. And suddenly his mind is restored and he stops behaving like an animal and starts behaving like a, like a, like a, a person again. And so in the end, this is all part of the family story, there's a picture of Nebuchadnezzar saying, can you read that? Now I exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Now I exalt and glorify the king of heaven. So that was all in the family story. They all knew in the family, Belshazzar knew full well that the kingdom he ruled over had been given to the family by God. He knew full well that he wasn't in charge, but that the Lord was. He knew it all. And yet, it was as though he, well, as, da as Daniel puts it, he said, you have defied the Lord God, even though you knew all of this. The interesting thing about Belshazzar is he was, they were all drunk out of their minds. That's a sin. There was a whole load of sexual immorality going on. That's a sin. But D Daniel doesn't home in on those things. There was idolatry going on. They were worshipping other gods. But Daniel doesn't really home in on that either. He homes in on the very heart of the problem, which is that Belshazzar refused to let God be God and behaved as though he was God. And the Lord says, that's it. Have a look at verse 23. Have you got your Bibles there? Let me read verse 23, because the thing is about verse 23 is that it's all very well to go like, oh Lord, why don't you, um, in, why don't you come and do something about evil people? Well, how would it be if you were weighed against verse 23? Where has it gone? Verse 23... It says, it says, um, at the end of the verse there, you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. You did not honor him. The God who gave you your every breath, you didn't honor him. Now, how would you do if you were weighed against that? Because, honestly... I, I suspect, if we were honest, we would all realize that we had not honored this God. Yeah, we might have paid him some respect. We might have called call out to him when we were in trouble. But actually, our heartbeat is not to honor the God who holds our life in his hands and all our ways. It is not to honor him. And so actually, the problem is with this story, it's easy to go, oh, Lord, thank you that one day the Putins of this world will meet the, the hand of God in judgment and will be weighed and found wanting. Yes! Yeah, but what about me? Do I honor him? No, not really. Not really. D to the extent that he deserves to be honored, he says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, that is a far cry from what any of us actually do. If we were weighed 
like this. I think all of us will be found wanting. Right, Daniel is ready. To tell thou shalt thou what the words mean. Can you three children come up to the front? Because as it happens, I know there are four words there, but actually Daniel says there are really only three. And the words are mene, mene, tekel, ufasin. Mene, mene, tekel, ufasin. Now, those words have a meaning. They've got, actually, there's various meanings. There's, it's, if, you, if you look on in your Bibles, if you want to look when you go home, um, the footnotes tell you the words have double meanings, in some cases triple meanings. I'm not going to go into the very depths of it now, although it'd be nice, but I'm not going to. But they have multiple layers of meaning. Anyway, and they also share a meaning in two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic, which are quite closely related anyway. Why was it that they couldn't read the writing before? Do you know, we don't know. Was it because the writing was in Hebrew and not in Aramaic? Was it because the Lord actually prevented them from understanding so that the glory of interpreting it could go to Daniel? We don't know. Or was it they could read the words, but they had no idea what the words meant? Because the words mean numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Numbered, numbered. And when they repeat the word twice, usually that just is a way of saying it really is numbered. <laughs> numbered and finished. That's why they say it twice. Numbered, numbered. Um, look, I've got something to do with numbers here. Where's the thing to do with numbers? Looks behind you, Evelyn. What have you got there? Behind you, you can take the abacus. Numbered. You've got an, you've got an abacus. Yeah, well, it's, they're very useful for helping to count. So, so the Lord says to Belshazzar, I've numbered your days. I know the number of your days. And they have been brought to an end and now finished. Final whistle, gone. Finished, it's the end. Numbered, do you want to hold on to the abacus there, Aveline? Numbered, weighed, tekel. Weighed, look, I've got some scales here. Um, these are again, these, look, that's how much it weighs. So at one end, you've got God's holy law. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Belshazzar, how have you done with that? Have you humbled yourself before the Lord? The Lord says, no, I've weighed you. You haven't done that at all. You've been found wanting. Look, here we go. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Look, so, so if it's heavy, if it, if it's found, if it balances, then you, the, this arm here would be even. I'll try and make it even. It's quite hard, actually. But, Belshaz or, or, but Belshazzar, when he's weighed, doesn't even register. Doesn't even register. You've been found wanting. You've been numbered, numbered, game over. You've been found wanting. Who's going to have the scales in their hands? Okay, there you go. I think you're going to wish that you had the next one in your hands because I think that Boaz, Boaz may just have landed the good one. And then, mene, mene, tekel, ufasin. Sword, I told you, you, got, you, were, you, were, you were too eager, because that means Boaz going to get the sword. Okay, and your kingdom has been divided, ufasin, has been divided, because Perez means um, division in Aramaic, 
And it's also in Hebrew, it's the word for Persia. And it's who's going to divide the kingdom? It's going to be that combined united kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, of, um, in the person of Darius and Cyrus, are going to cut your kingdom in half and they're going to divide. It's going to be ruled as a, as a, 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 over by two powers. And so there you go. You're going to hold the sword. Boaz is like, yes. <laughs> there you go. It is, it's actually, it's not that sharp, I can assure you, it's not sharp. So, mene, mene, tekel, Ephastim. It is game over. And it's very sobering. God executes Belshazzar's sentence. So that very night, you think, Lord, do you ever do anything? Well, this is on the record. Yes, the Lord does do something. That very night, the Persian armies um, manage to breach the defences. They get across the river and they enter the city and they find their way right into Belshazzar's very palace and Belshazzar is slain that night. Gone. Terrifying. It is terrifying. The Lord and his judgment, it's real and he does not mess around. And in the end, whether in this life or whether we are catapulted into that judgment by our own death, the point will come, a point of no return when the writing is on the wall, where it is inevitable, immediate, irreversible, and that's the end. Now, the, I asked the question a moment ago. The question was, who can stand? If God was to weigh us, whereas you've got the scales there, if God was to weigh any of us, um, then against his holy law, against his own perfect character, what would happen? Well, all of us actually would be found wanting. All of us would be found wanting. So you could say, well, the message of this chapter is that we've just got to humble ourselves before the Lord God. Now, that is true. That is true. But if we think that we can humble ourselves before Almighty God enough to be accepted and to be, to, be, to, be, to be weighed properly in the balance, then we're wrong. We can never, actually, we can never humble ourselves enough before Almighty God to do that. It can never happen. Our hope can never be in improving ourselves and trying to, as it were, add a bit of weight to ourselves by being good or by being holy or religious or whatever, because we're, never, we're actually never going to do it. We're too light already, actually. Even if we were perfect from tomorrow, we're too light already. Which is why I think it's important to put this story in the context of the whole Bible. There are two kingdoms when you really boil it down. There isn't really lots of kingdoms. There's two. There are the kingdoms of this world, of which Babylon was one, and the Medes and the Persians are another, and the United Kingdom is another, and all the rest of it. And there is the kingdom of God and of his Christ. So the two kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world and of, and of God and of his Christ. The kingdoms of this world are weighed in the scales and are found wanting. But here we go, look, here's something else. The king of God's kingdom, the king whom God has chosen, the king God has appointed over all things. There you go, Reggie, you're going to take that because I've taken the scales off you. You hold it nice and still, that's it. The king whom God has appointed, Jesus, 
he, he, he has been numbered. He has been numbered. Do you remember when he came to this earth, he kept saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not. And then his hour came. His days were numbered. He went to the cross where a judgment fell on him. And he was weighed on the cross. He was weighed like no person has ever been weighed. He was weighed under the fires of judgment. And yet, when he was weighed, he was not found wanting. Uniquely, of all people, he was not found wanting. The kingdoms of this world, they are numbered, they are weighed, and they are destroyed. The kingdom of God in Christ, it is numbered, it is weighed, and it stands forever. And so the question is not, can I, Tom Parsons, or whatever your name is, can I put on enough weight before God by being, you know, as good as possible to get there and to be, you know, to, 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 to somehow count and to weigh and be all right in God's sight? No, you cannot, you cannot stand. The only way to stand is to stand with, there's the cross, is to stand here with Jesus at the cross where he is what, numbered, weighed, stand with him, then we can know that we are accepted and that we are part of the kingdom of God, even though, actually, in so many ways, we're actually very like Belshazzar. But when we stand with Jesus and trust in him and put our dependence and reliance on him, then we can stand. So let's pray, and I think, you know, this is, this, is, this, is, this is serious, because none of us can stand. You may be thought all the time, yeah, I can stand if, I'm, if, I just, if I just make myself good enough. You can't. You, you, you come to Jesus and ask for his mercy. That's the only way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for warning us through Belshazzar that in the end you do come in and judge, that there is a weighing. We thank you that one man has been found worthy, one man has been weighed and accepted, and his name is Jesus. And so we place now our trust in him and ask that through him, and through faith in him, we will be forgiven for the dishonor that we have paid your name. And that we would be found justified, forgiven in him. We ask this, Father, in his name.